and yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. The Book of Psalm, chapter 27, verses 13 and 14. Welcome back to Dad and Gone in Wyoming, a monthly podcast telling the stories of this remarkable state's most enduring murders and disappearances. I'm Scott Fuller, and on this month's episode, a man of God and his dog embark on the search of a lifetime in the Wyoming mountains. We will join them on their journey, and we will, all of us, find more than we bargained for. The mountains rose around him, and the earth moved beneath his feet, and the pastor thought that God was good. His journey would take him into the Wind River Mountains. From their summit, he would see what his God had created, and would emerge from his nine-day journey closer to him than ever, at least he hoped. Every time that Mike Turner journeyed into the woods, into the mountains, he felt a better person for it. More than 20 years before, when he'd become an ordained minister, he commemorated the occasion with an 18-day hike through these same Wyoming mountains. This adventure that he had planned would not be so ambitious, but Mike would still commit to the experience. Nine days, after all, was no day hike. He would leave his wife and his parishioners behind him back in Idaho, and he'd venture into the Rockies with only his dog by his side. Each day of the trek had been meticulously planned, and supplies, though minimal, would be adequate for the sojourner and his four-legged companion. At the end, the pastor's wife, Diane, and other friends and family would depart to meet Mike on a pre-planned day, the ninth day of his journey, at the end of the route. And then, on the ninth day, as he had before, Mike Turner would emerge from his walk with God into the loving embrace of his wife and those closest to him in this world. He would be emerging from the Wind River Mountains, and they are among the most daunting and staggering in the state. Nearly every one of the 20 tallest mountains in Wyoming are here in the winds. Mike's planned route through the winds would take him over the Continental Divide, not once, but twice, and to elevations in excess of 12,000 feet above sea level, higher than what's called timberline, or the altitude at which trees or other vegetation can grow. He would summit mountains, he would traverse alpine valleys, but he would go at his own pace. It's part of the reason he wanted to travel by himself. There would be no pressure outside of his own to maintain a schedule, and he could be free to detour from his original route slightly if he desired to. But of course, the journey would not be without risk. The winds are well known for their glaciers, very slow-moving, colossal bodies of ice that inch along under their own weight carving stunning canyons through the Rocky Mountains over eons. Traversing any of those glaciers, which are most prominent on the east side of the Wind River Range, requires special training and experience. There are more than a hundred such glaciers on the east side of the range that Mike would be traveling, and any one of them could prove fatal. 
Most hiking routes through the east side of the winds will take you across one of the glaciers, which could be several hundred yards across each one, perhaps more. And they often require hikers to travel parallel across an incline. The danger in hiking across a glacier, Mike knew, is that once a person loses their footing onto the ice and begins falling, it can very soon become impossible to stop. Within seconds, the force of gravity begins doing its work of hurtling you downward toward terminal velocity. And before you know what's happened, you're traveling down the side of a mountain as fast as a car on a freeway. Whatever structure, tree, rock that your body encounters first will likely kill you, or if not, you'll probably wish it had. To prevent this, backcountry hikers practice a technique called self-arrest, so that when they slip, they first know to immediately arrange their body so they are facing the glacier and then dig into as hard as possible with whatever is available the glacier. Ice climbers will use an ice axe, hikers could use a pole, or if you're carrying nothing in your hands at all, self-arrest is to bury your knees and your elbows into the ground in an effort to slow your fall down the glacier. Mike Turner, on his endeavor to the Wyoming Mountains, was aware of these fundamental safety measures, and he would take precautions for his safety where he could, but he also knew and accepted that danger was involved in his journey. Much of his 60-mile hike over nine days would be off-trail. But aside from his dog Andy, Pastor Mike would be alone amidst the majesty of the mountains. And that's exactly the way he wanted it. On July 30th, 1998, Mike Turner bought his wife a bouquet of flowers and a card that read, Know wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, I am thinking of you. Mike's first day's journey took him six miles into the winds along a commonly used trail to Eklund Lake, and it was here he stayed on his first night, the first leg of his journey, and already the escape was everything Mike hoped it would be. As the sun set over the mountains and the sky turned from blue to orange to black, Mike and his dog took in the quiet, still perfection. The good pastor often told people he found God everywhere, sometimes even more so amongst the mountains than within the walls of his own church. And even the most ardent atheist would be hard-pressed to stand there aside the lake and under the stars and not have a feeling of being so small amidst a greater power of something, something much larger beyond the chaos and randomness that we humans can see on earth. In the morning, Mike and his companion would leave the trail and ascend Indian Pass, which was a notched passageway between two peaks across and over the very spine of the Wind River Range. Above 12,000 feet in elevation, the snow here never completely melts year-round, and beyond Indian Pass waits Knife Point Glacier. A massive field of snow and ice nearly a mile wide. There is no way to traverse across Indian Pass without inevitably encountering Knife Point Glacier on the other side. Mike and Andy paused at Indian Pass to take in the view. As they passed onto the massive ice field, Mike plotted the safest route. There was a way, Mike thought, that they could weave through the lowest points of the glacier rather than a more direct route. That would minimize some of the risk, but they would still be traversing an incline across the ice field. They started slowly across the glacier, and soon Mike became concerned about Andy. He'd shown no signs of wear and tear on the previous day along the trail, but now his paws began to wear against the sharp edges of the hard ice and snow. 
and as they traveled, Andy began favoring his paws more and more, and Mike became increasingly concerned that that would unbalance the dog and that he would begin to slide down the snowfield, unable to stop. And soon Andy did begin to slide short distances, whining louder each time. But Andy, on his forelegs, was smaller and lower to the ground. It was Mike who fell. He lost his footing and knew he was going down, but that's all he had time to understand. When he hit the cold ground beneath him, Mike expected to be able to stand again, but could not. He was immediately thrust downward in a spinning slide. Instinctively, he grabbed with his hands for something to hold on to to stop his fall, but nothing was there, and Mike's body began picking up speed. It happened so quickly. Mike held nothing in his hands, no axe or pole. He was wearing hiking boots with no crampons. And within a few seconds, too much time had already elapsed, and self-arrest was impossible. Mike could do nothing to stop the slide. He did what he could to arrange his body feet first and waited for impact. After sliding 600 feet down the side of a mile-long glacier in the Rocky Mountains, Mike Turner's body came to a stop near the bottom. And he was unhurt. Mike's decision to plot a careful path through the glacier had been a wise one. And fortunately, there had been no rocks or boulders or trees in his path once he'd started his slide. Mike breathed deeply and looked around. Exhilarated and still frightened from the loss of control, the helplessness that he'd just endured. He'd never experienced anything like it. He turned back up the mountain to look for Andy who stood at a seemingly impossible distance above him on the glacier, staring down at him. And then Andy began to come towards him, and Mike instinctively shouted to his dog to be careful, as though the dog could understand how quickly they had found trouble, Mike thought. On just the second day of the journey, Mike had fallen, and his dog's paws would need some relief, too. This trouble at Indian Pass would mean that Mike would need to think twice about the rest of the planned route which had called for traversing a few additional glaciers along the way. As Andy reached his master, his tail wagged with relief. That was enough for one day. Once they got off the glacier, they would find a low-lying point to make camp for the night. They would regroup and try again tomorrow. The morning of August 2, 1998, dawned over a notch in the Mountains of the Winds, and Mike was reinstalled with a purpose for why he'd made this solo journey. That purpose had been shaken with yesterday's exciting events. Mike knew well that the best laid plans of men are temporary at best, but there had been moments that day before, namely when he'd been sliding down a glacier field out of control, when he'd wondered if this excursion bore more recklessness than adventure. But the dawn of a new day in such a beautiful place had erased any doubt. After all, one cannot have faith in anything without also having doubt. Mike took his time preparing for the morning's journey, and after yesterday's events, he had adjusted the route for the pair going forward for the rest of the journey. They would do their best to avoid any glaciers. It would not be possible to avoid them all. And the new route called for the two travelers to cross a boulder field from one mountain lake to another. There are many such lakes in the winds, so many high alpine lakes that many of them don't have names, only numbers. It would be slow going for both of them, and particularly for Andy. Mike thought about the trouble that his friend had had yesterday on the glacier. He would not push the animal with his sore paws too hard on the rocks today, he thought. They would take their time. But at least the largest of the glaciers was behind them. The others that they would experience on the revised route 
lay ahead, but they would not have to cross them on this day. As the team of man and dog set out, the late morning August sun shone down brightly. In the sky, only wisps of clouds. It was a perfect day. To Mike's relief, Andy seemed to have little trouble along the rocks today. He was lighter than his owner, of course, and the dog seemed to have an innate sense of which boulders to step on and which to avoid. Mike did not share this intuition, though. Approaching their first waypoint of the day, Mike found that the stones, some the size of cars, were very loosely piled on top of one another. The scale of this boulder field before them was immense, like a glacier of rock, which fell into place millions of years ago, but still these massive stones had somehow yet to settle. Mike was surprised how easily such massive boulders were moved when he walked on them. The first lake that they encountered wasn't much of one, really, and Mike decided they should not stop here as they'd gotten a late start to the day. Besides, a much more appealing lake, Lake 10980, was just a few hundred yards away. It lay in the bowl of the canyon below. The lake was as blue as the sky in the distance and calm. Everything was calm. On the other side of the pass, yesterday there had been wind, but not here. There wasn't a sound save the rocks moving beneath their feet as the two slowly traversed the geology of time underfoot. Andy was still plotting a mindful course through the rocks, looking up every ten yards or so to see the progress of his owner. Once they were beyond the first unnamed lake, the second seemed even more beautiful in the near distance. As they emerged along the boulder field from the shadows thrown off by the canyon walls, the sun sparkled in the water ahead. Yes, here would be a great place to stop. As the incline leveled off, Mike stepped onto a boulder and it moved beneath him. There was nothing to grab. Again, there was no way to steady himself from falling. Mike fell into a moving pile of immense rock. He felt a sharp sensation of pressure and pain as he never had. His leg had become pinned under an immense rock. He was trapped. A lifetime of decades, irrevocably changed in five seconds. When your leg becomes trapped by a giant boulder, the first experience you have is alarm, which is accompanied by the pain, and the pain feeds back on the alarm, and that is what causes panic. The panic is slower in coming. It rises. In the meantime, there's disbelief, a disassociated kind of disbelief, because you know you're not dreaming, you know this is happening, but you're sure it can't be. The worst feeling is not the pain, although the pain is terrible. The calm is the worst. The calm of your surroundings. The realization that nothing in nature around you knows or cares about this impossible thing that just happened to you. The silence returns. The day is still bright. The lake just a few feet away, is calm, has not so much as rippled in acknowledgement of your peril and plight, and the sun still shines in the indifferent sky above. For Mike in this moment, there was only his dog, and Andy was confused. When his owner fell, he stopped and waited, and then eventually Andy made his way to the lake for some water, and he couldn't understand why Mike wasn't joining him. He'd come back to Mike in sort of a doggy gesture, try to encourage him to continue on to the lake, too. He didn't know why Mike couldn't. 
a level of determination rose up within Mike then. Strange as it might sound, he'd expected something like this to happen. Obviously not this, but some obstacle to overcome, as the danger of the mountains is one of the things that draws us to them. And Mike was never one to let the potential for danger redirect him from his path in life or anything else. This rock, this immense boulder, was now part of Mike's journey, his quest into the winds. And there was some small thought somewhere in Mike's mind that let him know this might be part of your transformative process once you learn how to overcome it. Of course, Mike did then what any of us would do. He tried and he pried. He maneuvered every which way that he could. He pressed onto the rock with what limited leverage he had to move it or himself, but the boulder would not move. It continued like this for a few hours because there was nothing else that could happen. Mike had his pack and he had his supplies, which was a very good thing. And as Mike Turner's sudden new reality settled down within him, he removed from his backpack a journal he'd been using to keep his thoughts throughout the trip and began writing. About two hours ago, a large rock rolled upon me and trapped my legs. I was very careful, be sure of that, but I hurt. I am in your hands, Lord. I don't know what I face. Mike's pain is evidenced through the pages. His letters are jagged and tense. For hours more, Mike tried to move the rock in any which way he possibly could. Meanwhile, Andy would circle back between the lake and his owner. Something was obviously wrong, but wondering why they'd stopped here at this spot. Why couldn't his owner move? The light in the canyon became long, night inevitable. And now, among Mike's growing list of impossible worries, was the cold. It was August. But high up in the Rockies, it snows year-round, and temperatures at night, while they can be into the 70s and 80s, sometimes hotter during the day, even on the hottest day of the year, can drop to below freezing at night. As he wouldn't be using his sleeping bag for its usual purpose tonight, Mike jammed it near his lower half for something of a blanket to keep warm. And with a boulder resting on top of him, tried his best to sleep. Tiredness is the fruit of one thing I love about wilderness, the chance to be fully committed to something. We worked hard today, faced danger and risk, played it safe, though, too, where wisdom was called for. I will remember this day. It is filled with the ecstasy, the essence of life. By it, the Lord will fill me with strength, conviction, wisdom, and trust. Thank God we made it down that hill. That was the last journal entry of Mike Turner on the morning of August 2nd, as he and Andy prepared to make their way to the lakes later that day. Twenty-four hours later, as the sun rose, Mike lay pinned beneath one of God's own boulders, seemingly irrevocably stuck. The danger and the risk had come to full fruition. On day two, Mike Turner took stock of his surroundings and supplies with as level head as he could muster. This will sound strange, but it could have been worse. Mike had all of his supplies within reach, and he set about inventorying their potential uses for his situation now. His tent was no longer a tent, it was part of a rain-catching device he constructed, if it did rain at all. The crystal light packets he carried would now, he hoped, make his own urine more palatable when it came to that. And it probably would. This was easily Mike Turner's biggest problem. 
water, or lack of it. As he awoke on day two, Mike had two quarts. The average person is recommended to have twice that amount of fluid intake every day, and a man of Mike's size cannot survive on less than one quart of water per 24 hours. Mike had enough water for two days, and then his body's dehydration would begin to take him. In the meantime, his camp stove would provide some warmth, and he had enough food for about a week. And Mike knew that some of that food could provide some fluids to his body, and there was also accessible snow nearby, which could be melted. With any luck, a hiker would come across him and call for help. The pastor returned to his journal. I had dreamed of a special time alone with God, facing the elements, the passes, thinking about my life, the direction of the church, about my family. Indeed, this has become all of those things only magnified a hundred times. Thoughts about life, God, people, risk, filling my time. When I think about it this way, I believe I will survive, smarter or wiser, more thoughtful, more aware of my limits. I do feel confident in my Christian hope. God will make a way, either earthly or heavenly. My only dread is not seeing my family and being present with them in body. That's what I think about. On August 8th, Diane Turner arrived at the trailhead where she was to meet her husband as he emerged from his latest adventure, a wander in wonder, as he'd called it, which made Diane smile. The quirkiness of her husband's personality was one of the many aspects of their marriage which had yet to fade in time, and she hoped it never would. Diane was joined by other members of the family to await the arrival of the pastor and his dog. He would have so many stories for the drive back to Idaho, she thought and she was pleased also that he would have found for his soul what he was looking for in those mountains, as he had on previous expeditions. Her husband was a man who sought wealth not in materials or money, but in soul. His riches came from his religion, so many of them, and more importantly, his faith in God. The Big Sandy Trailhead is a popular spot during the summer, and as Mike's family and friends awaited him and watched the countless hikers enter and exit the woods at the head of the trail, it does not seem a dangerous place at all, and maybe this was part of the reason Diane had little concern as Mike failed to arrive at their pre-designed time. A journey of more than a week might have been delayed by half a day, she reasoned, easily for any number of innocuous reasons. But eventually, the daylight hours of August 8th came and went, and Diane and the others left the spot to return to town. She was more annoyed than fearful as she drove by the sign for the nearby town, Boulder, Wyoming. On that day that his loved ones gathered to meet him, Mike Turner had been trapped under a rock for six and a half days. His water had long since run out. So had any snow within reach around him. The only fluid intake he had now was his own urine, and he'd been praying for rain for days. Mike Turner had begun the process of dying of dehydration, and his journal entries were fading away as well. I feel so foolish taking the longer pass, so lonely more than I imagined. Who would have guessed that four days would have gone by and no one has come this way? Another entry. They had been there on the rock. I cried aloud for you, and the rock seemed to have moved. It is like the others are present. 
Only it is Andy. And then I am doing something because they suggested it. Here Mike is hallucinating. He sees his wife and his daughters there, where they are not. And he is facing a crisis of faith as never before. A man of God. A lifetime spent in pursuit of answers and salvation and peace. This God has not given his servant so much as a drop of rain in response to his plight, and Mike struggles to understand why. God is with me, but I am angry with him. Why this terrible injustice or this product of pride? This sense of wrestling against God or the angel of God is distressing. What can I do against God? I don't want to be fighting against God's will. How am I failing him? What does he need me to teach? What is the purpose of this ordeal? Will I ever know or continue to be puzzled, angered, and feel quite abandoned by the one I serve? God doesn't seem to care about my suffering, struggling, and pain, and the loss of my left leg. I begged and prayed for some help in moving the rock, but none seemed to come. On Sunday, 36 hours after her husband was overdue, Diane notified the local sheriff's department. A hasty search team was deployed up the mountain, and the searchers for Mike had an advantage. Diane had a copy of his planned itinerary. They also had a photo of Mike and a photo of his boot print, which were distributed on missing persons flyers all over the area. Dozens of volunteers responded within hours to begin a full-scale ground search along Mike Turner's planned path, but none of them knew that Mike and his dog Andy had deviated from the route more than a week earlier. At some point around day eight, Mike Turner became aware of the fact that he was going to die where he was. He tried and failed a thousand times to free his leg from the rock, and on one of those attempts, the journal that he'd been keeping fell out of his reach. And now, as he neared the end, Pastor Turner searched his remaining belongings to share his last moments with those he loved. On a copy of the New Testament, he wrote, Fill me with peace, Lord. May the conditions not deny my love for you. I am ready to die, though missing my family. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I will trust in God. Though he will slay me, yet I will trust him. He is the way, the truth, and the light. In ten days, Mike Turner had lost nearly 20% of his body weight from lack of fluid. His brain had expanded. His organs had failed. God loves. Love, Dad. Mike. And then Mike Turner went home. The search for Mike lasted nearly two weeks. Finding no sign of anything, which was maddening as well as saddening for the searchers, who are used to finding what they're looking for. In the worst cases of a missing hiker, the person is found deceased. But they're almost always found. But not this time. Mike's dog, Andy, had stayed by his owner's side until the end. Incredibly, 18 days later, Andy walked out of the woods with two hikers. The dog was in bad shape. He'd lost about 20 pounds, but he had survived. and was taken to a local vet while the searchers tried again. Andy walking out of the woods sparked a second search effort for his owner because if Andy had survived somehow, 
Maybe Mike had too. Maybe he was still out there. And he was. Another hiker, on a similar track as Mike had been, found him, traversing that deadly boulder field to Lake 10980. The hiker looked up and saw what he first thought was a man sitting, taking in the view of the lake, and the hiker called out to the man, and a second later, with no response, realized this was the man from the flyer. So remote was the area, it took anyone, including a professional search team, nearly a month to find Mike. In the Mike Turner story, we can find empathy in the terror. And sadness, of course, for Mike and his wife and his daughter. But now as I retell you this story, I don't think of sadness. This is a story of inspiration and purpose. And it's actually more than that. It's a parable for the rest of us. Beside that lake in those mountains, Mike Turner found what he was looking for. The lesson in the Mike Turner story is to make sure that when the rock falls on you, as it inevitably will fall on us all. That before that day comes, you've done your best to find what you're looking for. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming. The Mike Turner story was so well documented in a 2017 article by Jeff Renicky for Backpacker Magazine. I highly suggest you Google it and read it. You'll see it was the primary source material for this episode. In fact, if I can find a hard copy for myself, I'm going to buy it just so I can keep it. It was a great, very special article. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast. You are keeping us going in these challenging times. And to all of our listeners, if the show provides value to you every month, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter for $10. That's a cup of coffee is the saying that, well, these days, that's one cup of coffee in some places. And it's that financial support that makes us able to take the time to put this show together every month. You can become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Wyoming podcast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Wyoming podcast. And by the way, if you want to see the photos of that boulder field where Mike Turner became trapped, we have a photo of that posted on the Patreon page, as well as a few other pertinent links to this episode. You can all feel free and reach out to me via email, wyomingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Wyoming Podcast. For everyone at County10.com, I'm Scott Fuller, already looking forward to bringing you the next episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming.